This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to the Rotoscopers podcast, episode 12, Anastasia, Rasputin, the dork of the night. podcast is brought to you by audible.com the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with over 100,000 downloadable titles to choose from for the listeners of the rotoscopers podcast audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so for a free audiobook go to audibletrial.com backslash the rotoscopers welcome to the rotoscopers podcast an animation podcast for animation addicts disney dreamworks pixar don bluth and everything in between and now back again since like three episodes, the dynamic trio, myself, Mason Smith, Morgan Burt, and Chelsea Robson. Woo! I know, we're all back together again for, for a whole episode. For an entire episode. Yay. They've so. missed us. I can see it. <laughs> I can see the tears welling up in their eyes thinking, wow, this is just amazing having everybody back in the same room together. Yay. <laughs> It's like the Boy Meets World reunion. <laughs> oh. So I'm super excited for this episode. In preparation, I actually drank an energy drink, and it was like the second time in my life that I ever drank an energy drink. So <laughs> y'all should feel really, y'all should feel really honored. I expect nothing but Mason in his tip-top, most energetic shape. You better believe it. Well, that that, that <laughs> didn't sound very energized. I mean, you better believe it. I'm super energized. All right. Hey, so how's everybody? How's everybody doing? We're doing fantastic over here. How's Texas? Texas is hot. Not as hot as us. No, 110 today. Oh well, you beat me. Well, it's humid over here. Yeah, you can keep it. So what have y'all been up to since the last time we met up? This last week, I have been editing and doing a whole bunch of personal stuff on some new songs that I've got going out. And uh, the day that we dropped episode 11, I also put out another song. And so that's been going really well. And so that's that's made me really happy. Oh, and I also watched a bit of Spider-Man. You know, you got to stay balanced. Yes. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, I went on a cruise to the Mexican Riviera. Riviera. We came back, and now it's real life again. Work, moving, and yeah, it's pretty awesome. But I don't have a TV, and I have, and I'm borrowing my neighbor's internet connection for the meantime. They're the only people in the apartment complex that hasn't put a security thing on there. So it's really awesome in the morning, but at night when everyone gets home, it's super slow. Like it won't even load just like Twitter or basic page. So watching animation is, is not really the best for me right now, (laughs) but Oh man. Yeah. Why about you Mason? Cool. Well, Hey, this week I finally finished all five seasons of the X-Men cartoon series on Netflix. Woo. Yay. Not yet. I'm sad that there's 20 no more, years you know? too late. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I wasn't a I wasn't a kids WB kid. I was a Nickelodeon, and I was one Saturday morning. Ah. That was me. Mm-hmm. Oh, that- I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm really sad that there's no more. I got a kind of a craving 
for more X-Men afterwards, I looked up uh, the original pilot cartoon for X-Men called Pride of the X-Men. It was by the same production team who did the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon series. You, you'd recognize the animation. One notable thing is that Wolverine has an Australian accent, which I thought was really cool. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and then speaking of Spider-Man, I also watched the Spider-Man X-Men crossover, which was really cool. Yeah, you can watch all those on, on YouTube, but you didn't hear it from me. Please don't take it down, Fox. <laughs> yeah, so Everybody's other than that, I'm closing in on the BYU animation deadline, so everybody wish me luck on that. By the time you hear this podcast, I will already have applied. Now we just have to wait for the next two months to find out the results. Actually, actually, I should know by the end of June. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, it's really? not like I'm biting my nails or like super nervous wreck or anything. I am. all right let's move into the news so we have three news stories today the first one something that came out this past week it seems sort of just randomly introduced but there is a new simpsons short that's going to accompany ice age 4 and it's a 3D short, and it features all Maggie Simpson. So it's called Stuck in Daycare. It's directed by David Silverman, who's been with The Simpsons forever. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. his job. That's his life. So he's very familiar with the characters. Yeah, so that comes out. I don't even know when Ice Age 4 comes out. It's like sometime in July. Any thoughts on this? It really reminded me of, like, I feel like they've done, like, snippets of Maggie enough. Like, how much more can you add to her? Yeah, well, <laughs> what, you're saying because she's a baby, she's not important? Well, I'm just saying, like, she doesn't talk. Like, that's a hard well, yeah. thing to, like, animate a whole bunch of stuff for. Well, that's why I, I was reading one of the interviews and said that's kind of one of the reasons why they decided to do a short about Maggie rather than an episode, because for a full episode, they don't really have enough material to carry an entire episode right. just based on Maggie, who doesn't talk. I mean, yeah, you can do things without a character speaking, that's great, but they said, hey, a four to five minute short, that's all the time we need and we can tell a good Maggie story so it's essentially her stuck in daycare it kind of reminds me of an episode they had called A Streetcar Named Marge which we talked about two episodes ago it was directed by Rich Moore it's a really really classic episode where she tries to you know escape the daycare and you know it's it's, it's awesome (laughs) that one was awesome like she gets all the all the toddlers in on it Uh they're just like you got the like nerdy little he's like a toddler he's still a nerd like it's awesome (gasps) yeah so this this is pretty exciting I mean I have have there been uh, shorts before any of the Ice Age movies? I think maybe just like a scrat. Yeah, there's been lots of scrat. <laughs> and so it's time we move on to bigger and better things. That's pretty exciting. It's really funny. Like the very picture on, they have like a 15 second trailer for it, and it has Maggie's face, like the old style Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, Goofy cartoons. You know, if it's a if it's short about Mickey, <laughs> it's just like Mickey's face, face and like zooms the star- up real quick. Yeah, the starbursts yeah. all around it. So that's like, <laughs> it's Maggie's face with all the starbursts. So it's like a nod to the the shorts from a long time ago. It's kind of nice. cool. So yeah, that's that. Our second bit of news is that the, there is going to be a Pixar inspired California cruise coming to the Disney Cruise Line this fall. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but I thought this was pretty awesome. <laughs> well, you've been on a Disney cruise before, so because they're amazing. I know. You tell me every time you come back. <laughs> Thanks a lot. 
So what what can we expect to see on these Pixar cruise ships? So it's it's on the Disney Wonder, which sails out of Los Angeles. There's four dates in September and October, so late September, early October, that they are going to leave from. It's a seven-day cruise, and it's going to visit L.A., San Diego, and San Francisco. On this, they're going to have some of the filmmakers from the Pixar studios that are going to come and get presentations. There's going to be sneak peeks for some of the movies. There's going to be behind-the-scenes showing, like, making up for Brave, because by this point, Brave will be out. And then they're going to have a huge art exhibit of concept art and backgrounds and, and maquettes and, and all these things for, for that. And then lastly, they are going to have a Pixar movie marathon where they're going to show the entire collection of Pixar movies and shorts, culminating in a showing of Finding Nemo 3D. Oh, I want to go so much. I know. <laughs> oh, and of course, there will be Pixar meet and greet face yeah. characters that you can talk to and take pictures with. Personally, the Pixar like meet and greet characters are kind of creepy. <laughs> well, <laughs> Toy Story is okay. Yeah, some of them are, but, like, but I saw... Um, I saw Sully from Monsters Incorporated at Downtown Disney yeah. years ago, and he looked great. Yeah, like, he, he didn't look creepy at all. Okay, maybe they're not all creepy. Maybe just uh, the giant uh, Remy from Ratatouille yeah. is, like, a bit Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one's kind of weird. But, yeah, what do you guys think? Would you want to go on this cruise? Oh, for sure. I'm trying to, yeah. like, scrape up around find some way to actually have it go one of the set sail dates is actually around my birthday so i'm like oh that would be awesome happy birthday to chelsea it would be i don't know like that's probably not going to happen but if somebody loves me hey you never know (laughs) 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 no yeah i think it'd be a pretty pretty awesome cruise i don't know if for me if i would want to go on the pixar disney cruise versus the regular disney cruise not having experienced the first one Uh but then again you can go on a a disney cruise anytime you want and Pixar cruises aren't around that often so I think it would be pretty awesome to go to this but it doesn't look like it's going to happen for me in the future but oh well well and also one of the cool things is all guests will receive a special commemorative lithograph created by Steve Parcell uh, who is the co-director and screenwriter for Brave so that's pretty cool you get a lot of really cool things Disney cruises are amazing. I've never done the California stuff, so that would be cool. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It's, like, definitely doable for people here on the West Coast mm-hmm. where you d- you could just drive there rather than have to pay half your trip expense in flying. So Exactly. Anyways, that's pretty exciting. So if you have the chance, the sale dates are September 16th, September 23rd, September 30th, and October 7th. So that's kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Well, we say that now, but then they're just going to roll it out full-time. Okay, I but <laughs> <laughs> I mean... It- it, it's it'll be pretty neat if you're a Pixar enthusiast and you really want to kind of you know go to those special screenings or you know those presentations by the filmmakers. It's they didn't say who was going to be there, but I mean I can only imagine some pretty awesome mm-hmm. people will be there. So if you have the chance, go and hey, tell us how it is. So this little bit of news is about an animated film that you might not know about unless uh, someone tells you about it. So I'm going to tell you about it. It's called A Cat in Paris. It's a foreign film, French, animated film, originally released in 2010. Um, it it should be coming to select theaters in the U.S. at the beginning of this month, so so June release. And But I'm not really sure on the release date because the official website is in French, and I do not speak French. 
So look around for it in select theaters. It, it'll probably be in, in you know more your more independent theaters or your more your theaters where they show a lot of foreign films. So check it out. I saw the trailer for it on the iTunes trailer website. It's really cool. Like the animation is super different. You know these foreign films always show something fresh. Storyline without giving away too much. It's about an ordinary cat in Paris who by day is just an ordinary house cat, but by night he helps out this thief dude to commit his thief, thieverish acts. <laughs> and uh, he also he helps a little girl in her quest to like find justice for um, her father who was who was murdered. So it kind of has this kind of like crime noir feel to it. It kind of has this kind of Alfred Hitchcock uh, look to it also. So it should be super interesting, and I really want to see it. So that's a cat in Paris. So look at look for it this month. Um, what style of animation is it? Two D hand drawn. Good question. Okay. Yeah, I kind of saw a review about it. I, I was just kind of scanning the internet today, and it got pretty good reviews from what I had read, but I didn't really want to spoil myself because this seems like one that I would really like to see, kind of like a funky, different... Chelsea and I, if everything goes okay, we're going to see Madagascar 3 on Saturday, and to be honest, I would much rather see something, you know, different and unique like A Cat in Paris rather than Madagascar 3, but maybe I'll just see both. Yeah, you know, I'm always in for, you know, cat burglary. <laughs> So every once in a while, you get an animated film other than Disney that truly brings in a lot of magic. And we're talking great songs, groundbreaking animation, but it's just not Disney. And I think that's kind of a gem, <laughs> especially coming from, uh, you know, the 90s uh, series of animated films. And that's exactly what we're going to discuss today. Such a film, Don Bluth's Anastasia. An enchanted world. A sorcerer's curse. A young princess who vanished. Without a trace. Curses are pure. Yeah, ain't that the kick in the head? I guess a curse just ain't what it used to be, huh, sir? One of the greatest mysteries of all time is now one of the most magical motion picture events of our time. It's the rumor, the legend, the mystery. Anya's an orphan in search of her past. I just want to know who I am, whether or not I belong to a family. Dimitri's a dreamer in need of a future. We'll find a girl to play the part and teach her what to say. Next, please. Dress her up and take her to Paris. Grandma, it's me, Anastasia. Oh. But now, hey. oh. fate has brought them together. Hold on. Do you see what I see? You think that I am Anastasia? Anastasia? Anastasia. I'll uh, sure your lips. And they're teaming up to find her family. <laughs> no matter what it takes. Hey, This holiday season, share the fun. That fell right out there, sir. The music. And unlock the secret to the greatest mystery the world has ever known. Anastasia. I give her up. And a hi-ya. And a Woo-hoo. Yahoo. Yay. 
All right, so we are doing Anastasia today, which obviously a lot of us have quite a bit of excitement for. This is probably one of my favorite Don Bluth films and, you know, general one of my favorite princess movies and just probably top 10 animated movie. Yeah. I mean, so I agree with that. Yeah. So I'm excited to talk about it. So let's just talk about Anastasia. So a little background. Uh, you kind of in the trailer got the, the plot synopsis. The release date for this movie was November 21st, 1997. It was produced by Fox Animation Studios, which is kind of significant because that studio didn't put much out at all mm-hmm. over the past two years. So, Well, it was, the fir- it was the first animated film released by 21st Century Fox, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was the distributor. So I think they only did like three or four. Yeah. Yeah, there's like they've recently got kind of back into it the past few yeah. years, but like not really. It was directed and produced by Don Bluth and Gary Goldman. And like I think that's kind of funny because I think Gary Goldman is kind of forgotten when people talk about Don Bluth films. They just say, Oh, it's a Bluth film, like Bluth, you're my idol, but they forget that Gary Goldman is a essential part of that duo and yeah. they work together and they're very important co directors. But, um, yeah, he's kind of the one who's just back in, you know, stays out of the spotlight, and, and Don is the front runner. It's just kind of funny to me. I think it's kind of more like a, a Walt and Roy duo. <laughs> one handles the money, the other handles the vision. But I don't think one of them handles the money. Maybe really? he does. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how their business works. So. <laughs> I just That's the concoction that I have in my head, so I'm just going to go with it. So this movie, it made $139 million in the box office, and the budget was $53 million. So this is a huge success. For Don Bluth, yeah, and for Gary Goldman, yeah, and um, yeah, totally. It was their most successful movie to date. Mm-hmm. That's really exciting for them, and obviously, it, it holds a special place in their heart. It's just kind of a shame that after this, like Titan AE, kind of threw a wrench in everybody's plans because I, I could see. If Titan AE didn't do so poorly, we could have gotten a lot more really exciting and beautifully drawn and amazing story films from Don Bluth, but mm-hmm. that kind of just stopped. And so I don't know. Would you call this the pinnacle of his career or or would you say the pinnacle of his career was more back when he first started with Secret of Nim? Well, Secret of Nim was his very first thing that he did. I, I wouldn't want to put that as my pinnacle. <laughs> well, I know, but I mean, he says it holds a very special place in his heart, that right. first movie, oh, obviously, but... I mean, you just get better from there. Yeah. I think that it is the best that he's done. It's the most well-received, the most well-known. Um, it's They do a really good job. Yeah, but I, I really think this movie is Don Bluth's, like, best film, in my opinion. Totally. I think it's the perfect blend of, like, musical, you know, audio and then visuals, you know. And I really think this movie can contend with, like, the Disney animated classics. It's no wonder why so many people mistake this film for a Disney film or Anastasia for a Disney princess because it's just really good quality. Yeah. And it just brings in the magic and the power or the theatrics of a really good animated film. And of course, you're always going to compare it to Disney because Disney's the best. But but this film really can really compare, if not compete with it. And I, I think all those elements combined make this a really great movie. It definitely is my favorite Don Bluth film. I think, I, in my opinion, it's the best one he's done. Okay, so this movie, like the development of the movie, just a little history. Actually, the executives at Fox Animation, they get, they went to Bluth and Goldman, and they gave them the choice of creating an animated adaptation of either the 1956 version of Anastasia or the musical My Fair Lady. Mm. And obviously, yeah. they chose Anastasia. But I think it's kind of funny because this story is a My Fair Lady story, yeah. almost perfectly. They, they find a girl on the street who's just the bottom of the barrel, essentially. I mean, she lived in an orphanage, and they teach her to be 
royalty. They teach her to speak, talk, act, behave like royalty so they can pass her off as royalty. And yeah. that's the point of My Fair Lady. So yeah. I think maybe they were like, well, let's do both. <laughs> so, oops. I can totally see that. So speaking of development, did you all watch the making of featurettes on the DVD? I, I watched them a while ago, and then they got taken off YouTube, so I couldn't rewatch them. <laughs> I oh, watched shoot. them, you know, yeah. you know, you can always borrow the DVD from someone, Morgan. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, well, I was watching it, and it's hosted by Aaliyah, who is like an, a 90s R&B singer. She, like, shows up, and she's like, hey, I'm Aaliyah, and I'm going to be taking you on this magical journey of Anastasia. And I was like, mm, you, I don't. what do you have to do with this film? Like, why are you here? <laughs> and so, like, she kind of seemed like... I, she kept, like, the way she was talking about everything and, like, introducing each segment, I was like, hmm, you don't really have a lot of passion for this film. Like, what's in it for you? And then at the very end, it was, like, this big surprise. She's like, well, thanks for watching. Now, my rendition of the song Journey to the Past. And she just steps back and starts a music video right right at the last cut. <laughs> and, like, a $5 million red mink coat and everything. I'm like, what? <laughs> was she just in this for the music video at the end? I mean... It was really funny, though. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> it was definitely I remember, totally random. <laughs> I remember thinking the exact same thing when I first watched it a couple, bunch of years ago, and I was thinking, who is this girl? Like, why is she here? And they're like, oh, she's a singer. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then uh, when we were, we were looking into it this time around, I was looking for I was like, I wonder what happened to her. Actually, it's sad. Like, she ended up dying not too many years after that. Um, in a plane crash, but I was like, oh, sad. I'm thinking, oh, like, great. where was I during the 90s? Because, <laughs> like, apparently she's, like, listed as Billboard's, like, the 10th most successful female R&B artist in the past yeah. 25 years and the 20, 27th most successful R&B artist overall. I'm thinking, like, what the? I was just asleep <laughs> during the 90s. I'm like, who is? I don't think when you were 10 you were really interested in R&B. I wasn't at all. <laughs> Let's be honest. Here. I wasn't. <laughs> no, you know what I think is really funny. This this kind of going off into like a nerdy couch discussion tangent. But okay, so the song she sings, sings "Journey to the Past." It plays at the very end of the credits. Um, yeah. You know, over the credits, and it's like this nice R and B version of it. That was a, a trend during the '90s. Is that during the credits they would take one of the super popular <laughs> songs and they'd make it R and B version, of that, <laughs> and it would just be playing in the credits. And it, looking back, I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> what? Or Elton John would redo it. Yeah. Every single movie without fail. Like, that gave you street cred to your movie. You put an R&B version at the end. Yeah. And Dude, that's so true. <laughs> that's so true. Why did they have to do that? Because they, they did it for everything. Aladdin, Mulan, Lion King, like everything. I think one of the reasons they do it is because they want to then make that as a single. Yeah. So, like, for mainstream radio play. And I really, I think if I read correctly, Journey of the Past did top the charts uh-huh. and went gold or something like that. So, I mean, obviously it's like, oh, well, we already have this wonderful, beautiful song written. Let's just make it a little bit more contemporary and rake in the dough. <laughs> Which they yeah, did. Come, Why not? Yeah, totally. Come to think of it, I heard uh, the Reflection song from Mulan, but the <laughs> yes. pop version on the radio once, and it wasn't Radio Disney. Oh, <laughs> wow. Is that the Christina Aguilera version? It is. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's not, we're not going to have the other version up there. <laughs> okay, that's a really good point, Morgan. <laughs> About the 90s pop version of your songs at the end the credits. It's like mean, without fail. They did that for so long. And then they stopped. Maybe just the market couldn't handle it anymore. <laughs> like, enough. Enough. 
we got to try to no, more. Like, you can t- it totally dates your film. Like, you don't yeah. have to watch the film. Just watch the credits of the film, and you're like, oh, 90s. <laughs> yeah. And then on, sorry, on Mulan, also, it goes into, like, 90 degrees. Yeah, you got, like, Oh, that's right, true to your heart. heart. You must be true to your heart. <laughs> but it's true. They yeah. always did these things, and they would grab people. So, going into the development, originally, I mean, obviously, in these animated films, the characters go through lots of different phases of design and, and what the characters look like. And it's really just interesting. Like, I just came across this randomly last week, not even researching the podcast, but the initial designs for Anya, Anastasia, and Dimitri were a lot more lifelike and just, like, harsher. Yeah. I, I can't even explain it. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes so you can look at it. But um, it's on our Tumblr also if you want to look at it. But I do not like them at mm-hmm. all. Yeah, no, Dimitri looked like a, like a greasy Frenchman. Yeah, I'd... well, a greasy, greasy Russian. That's what it was supposed oh, yeah. to be. It was supposed to be a con, con man. <laughs> but I mean, like, I couldn't tell which one. But it was like, uh, hmm, I'm not a fan. Yeah. I, I like so much more the current <laughs> version. Yeah, totally. I saw the con... I didn't see the ones for Dimitri. I saw the ones for Anya. There's, like, the second one where she has her, like, hand in the camera, and she's like, I don't know. She looks really gangster in that image. <laughs> so I was like, uh, I'm really glad they didn't go that angle with her. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she she's like goes, what? I'm straight out of the orphanage, yo. What up? <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm definitely glad they didn't go with this uh, gangster Anastasia. <laughs> okay, so what are your original thoughts when you saw this movie? So I was 11, Chelsea was 11, mm-hmm. and Mason, you were probably 10. Yeah, let's just say that. <laughs> I didn't even. Well, I didn't see this one in theaters. I don't know why I didn't. I saw it on TV, like they did the TV releases, uh-huh. and I remember seeing it on on the TV, and I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I thought it was cool. Like the scenes that stood out to me most were all the scenes where Rasputin tried to take down Anya. So I don't know if that was like interesting to me or traumatizing. <laughs> So I was fairly young, but yeah, I just remember liking it a lot. I remember it being like standing out to other, apart from other 2D animated films. And, you know, later on in this episode, I'll, I'll go over some points of why, why not, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I remember I hadn't seen it. Like, I remember I hadn't seen it like when it first, first came out. It had been out a week or so and people were still talking about like, oh, we got to go see it. Oh, we got to go see it. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I'm, I hadn't, I, d- I don't think I had heard that much about it, which is, you know, shame on the publication, on the publicity department on Fox, but <laughs> I hadn't heard too much about it. I just remember, oh yeah, I'd like to go see that. That'd be cool. So we went and the very first things that I remember thinking were just, wow. Those first scenes where it's got all the dancing and the choreographed movements and everything during the rumor of St. Petersburg just blew me away. And I thought it was Disney just because I was like, whoa, this is really great. How did I not hear about this? And then I just kept thinking, wow, this looks so real. Yeah, I, I'm i like the complete opposite of Chelsea. I was really pumped for this movie, really excited. Like, I must have just been like glued to the TV when I was younger because <laughs> like I always knew when the new movies were coming out and like, okay, it's we never went on Fridays. We always went Saturday mornings with my dad. So oh, I was like, yeah. Saturday, we got to go. Um, <laughs> Checked out. <laughs> So I, I still remembering remember seeing it in the theaters. One of the things that really stood out to me, a scene that I loved, was when little Anya and the grandmama sing Once Upon a December. I just loved how high-pitched little Anya's voice got at the very end, like, Once upon a December. That's right. <laughs> 
Oh, wow. <laughs> I just I just thought that was like, oh, so cute. And I had the CD and like I listened to that part of the soundtrack, but it was it was part of the score. And then that little tidbit was randomly in the middle at the five minute park. But I would listen to it over and over so I could hear that little <laughs> snippet of the song, which, by the way, do any of you know who did the voice of young Anya? I, I knew after I looked on IMDb. Oh, well, it's Kirsten Dunst. Yes, go. yes, yes. Anyways. OK, so Chelsea kind of mentioned it. Can we talk about how how there's so much confusion with this movie about it? not being a Disney movie or people think it's a Disney movie. They just assume they say, well, it's good enough. So we're going to include it in the Disney canon. I mean, yeah, why totally. is that? this is a point that needs to be brought up. I did. She, okay. Um, there is a lot of confusion. I didn't know there was so much confusion until like maybe last year. It's an image that's on everyone's Facebook and Pinterest. That guy who did the hipster Disney princesses yeah. image, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I saw one of them and one of them had Anastasia on it. I was like, okay, cool. Ariel, yeah, Sleeping Beauty, Aurora, that totally works. Yeah, Belle. What? Anastasia, what's she doing here? She's not Disney. And I got so irritated. A lot of people who commented on that image were irritated, too. So I think she's comparable. But I think this movie and Anastasia, I think it would be better once pe- if people would just recognize that this isn't Disney, believe it or not. But it is kind of that same quality and that same, like, you know, awesomeness. It kind of gives other people the benefit of the doubt being like, oh, well, it's really good that it must be Disney. Like, no one else can do good things unless it's Disney, which is not true, you know? So I think people do need to realize and understand. And of course, people are going to be ignorant. You know, people just assume animated movies are for kids. But by helping realize, hey, this isn't Disney. This is somebody else. And they're doing great things over here as well. Like, check them out. It would really help the animation industry a lot rather than assuming, oh, it's really good. It's up to Disney standard. You know, I can see where people think that it is Disney. Like, you know, the musical numbers, everybody gets up and dance. Like, Anastasia, is. this movie is definitely one of those everybody gets up and dances films. And when bystanders are watching people dance, you know, nobody really cares you know they're just cool with it (laughs) yeah totally okay so let's talk about the characters because i think this movie has incredible characters incredible voice talent and really well developed apart from one character which i'm going to talk about later so (laughs) let's first off talk about with our leading man dimitri dimitri john cusack yeah Mm mm-hmm He's got a great voice for him. It's really good. Yeah, watching the making of featurette, like, watching him talk, I was like, hmm, he sounds like Dimitri, but he really doesn't look like him at all. (laughs) (laughs) You know how, I mean, I don't know, sometimes you see that voice actors, like, match the energy of the characters they play. Yeah. But John Cusack definitely didn't. (laughs) But, I mean, that's cool. Like, I I was just surprised, taking it back a bit, that it was him, because I was wondering who he was, because he sounded familiar. Yeah. One thing I love about Dimitri is something that, like, for some reason will always come up, is how of all of the, I guess you could say, not princes, because he's not a prince, but it's like, out of all of the heroes of these animated stories, like, people always talk about, the girls specifically, I always talk about how Dimitri is the best looking of them all. And (laughs) it was so funny. I remember going on to Don Blue's website a couple years ago, and before his website, you actually had areas where you could post questions and everything for him. He himself would answer them. Well, either he or Gary Mm -hmm. would answer them directly, and I just remember seeing all these different questions, like some would be about, you know, why did you do so many Land Before Times? <laughs> he would go on, no, I didn't. We had nothing to do with that. <laughs> and then they would talk about, like, just everything from under the sun of Don Bluth. And then there was this one guy that posted a comment, and all it said was, I'm so mad that all the girls say that Dimitri's so hot. It's so annoying. <laughs> And then either either Don Bluth or Gary, like, he actually replied, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I mean, I mean, Dimitri, like, as a mantagonist, I don't know, he's got kind of that, like, Leonardo DiCaprio, like, smoothness to him. Mm-hmm. So that's what I like about him, but I don't know. I, I thought he had a really good Zach Morris haircut after I watched it. <laughs> no, totally. Anyway, so let's talk about Anastasia, our leading lady. For a while, she is known as Anya. She's played by Meg Ryan. And... My husband, he speaks Russian, so he would tell you that the proper way to say this is Anastasia. Oh, yeah. Do you know what the short version of Anastasia is? Uh-uh. Just Asia. Oh. If you ever know any girl who's named Asia. Yeah, there was a um, there was a girl at my high school named Asia, and that was, like, her real name, Anastasia. She was, like, Orthodox Greek. Oh, cool. Nice. We should start referring to her throughout the podcast just as Asia. Yeah. <laughs> no, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> Meg Ryan, she was best known for all those romantic comedies of the 80s and 90s. But she is known for these characters. She does a really good job at the banter. Yeah. And you'll, oh, yeah. you'll see that a lot in this movie. And she talks about in the feature at how she's like, I've never really seen that much banter, that much uh, romantic comedy banter in an animated movie. And that's one of the things that made me want to do it because, you know, you have Anya who is very feisty and she wants to do it her own way. And she's just whatever. I'll do it. My just whatever. Boys are babies. (laughs) You know, (laughs) all men are babies. And she just has these great one liners and back and forth with Dimitri. And I think that that added a, a lot to the film. I think Anastasia is a wonderful character. You know, she's really headstrong. You know, she's a bit too determined in her journey to get to Paris. But I, I like her a lot. She's very memorable. She's exciting. She's loving. She's cool. You know, like, oh, I'd want to hang out with her type of person. Uh, she's gone through a lot in her life, which definitely builds and makes her a bit more well-rounded. But she doesn't take crap from anyone, kind of like Chelsea said. Another thing, like I said earlier, is the is her dialogue. I think her dialogue in itself makes her a little bit more more approachable kind of as a princess. And so I think that's another reason why the girls love her so much. Mm-hmm. Like just it's so easy to like Anastasia because she's just so approachable even though she is that princess but she doesn't know it and she's just normal and going about her thing. So yeah. yeah, totally. You know what stood out a lot about um, Anastasia to me? What? Is that she's one of the few like heroines or, or princesses in these movies to actually attack and defeat the antagonist. Ooh, because she, you know, she she goes in and she basically defeats Rasputin without Dimitri's help because he was like powerless against that giant stone Pegasus guy. But anyway, <laughs> so she goes in, she steps on the vial and kills him and defeats the villain. So I think she's like one of the very few princesses to actually do that. Off the top of my head, I can't think of another princess that does that. Mm-hmm. Actually, since you're throwing around the, the term princess, princess is not a term that is used in like the Russian royalty. Like if this oh. were like accurate. The commoners would have referred to her commonly as the Grand Duchess Anastasia instead of Princess Anastasia. But I think because obviously this is a Western take on the right. movie, you know, Anastasia says, yeah, I'm sure every girl imagines that she's a princess. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it just wouldn't have the same resonance with us. If, yeah. I'm sure every girl imagines that she's a Grand Duchess. <laughs> like, I, to Americans, I don't think that means as much as princess, you know, because princess has this beyond elevated status in our culture because what we don't have one here in the States? Well, no, it's because well, we Well, we do. They belong in homecoming courts. <laughs> I love Duchess. It's like, Duchess, beautiful. Love I, it. Yeah. Thomas O'Malley. Yes. Anybody? <laughs> yes, yes. I like Duchess better, actually. Like, here in the West, it does. Princesses use so much. It's just kind of thrown around sometimes. And that sometimes, I think, diminishes the, the meaning of it. 
Um, but Duchess is like, ooh, that adds something a little, like, interesting. Like, what is that? That is almost an unknown for us. Yeah. Well, now that we just had that big discussion about Princess, Duchess, I'm just going to refer to her as Princess from here on out. Sorry. But, um, okay, so I'm kind of combining her with the Disney canon, which I guess we just said is you're not supposed to do. But whatever. She she is the first princess, I guess, animated character, animated girl, whatever. Uh To elope. Is that true or false? Um, does Robin Hood and Maid Marian's relationship have any... No, was that they, they get married. an eloping? No. Yeah, they do. Oh, they got married with a church. Yeah, yeah, so that's about as non-eloping as you can get. <laughs> I think that's a full-out elopement. They, because, and they even, like, acknowledge the fact that it's... Yeah, they, they eloped! Yeah, yeah. How romantic! Oh, I thought it was yeah, funny at that true. part, because it's like the, the Grand Duchess... She just had this big old ball, and she's still all pristine clothes uh-huh. and everything, and she has no idea what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> she just about died. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no big deal. Okay, so do you think that Anastasia is better, quote-unquote, than the other Disney princesses? Like, where would you rank her if you were to include her in some sort? Let's let's say, hypothetically, that Disney, for some reason, buys the rights to Anastasia, and she becomes part of the lineup, which probably would never happen, but where would she rank? Well, one, it would totally work. I know. Because she's definitely got that, that Disney princess vibe. You know, she's got her spunk and her spirit, but she she's also a lady, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think she's got a lot of similarities to the to kind of the princess uh, templates. I'm not going to say stereotypes or cliches, but, like, <laughs> you know, qualities. I thought a lot about Sleeping Beauty 1 because uh, the movie opens up with a ball that gets crashed by the villain, and there's a curse, and, you know, the girl goes into hiding, basically. And also Rapunzel, because in Tangled, she has this big moment where she realizes that she is the prin- that she actually is the princess, you know? Uh, yeah. So she's definitely got similarities you know, in her, like, story to Disney princesses. Another thing that makes her interesting is that she's a princess or she's royalty, but it's contemporary. This occurred in the 20th century. I don't think there are any Disney princesses who's lived who have lived in the 20th century besides Tiana from The Princess and the Frog. Mm-hmm. So I, she's definitely got that. But yeah, my theory is that if Disney ever absorbed the Anastasia franchise, I totally think it would work. The movie and the character Anastasia have a, a lot of similarities to, to Disney princesses. And that's not a bad thing. Do you think that fans would, there'd be kind of an uprising if that happened? Hmm. I Disney think fans. Die Hard. Um, I don't know if Disney fans would. I don't think But Disney I know a would. lot of people would turn their nose up to something like that because, you know, we've kind of been talking about other studios putting out films that are comparable or competitive to Disney, namely these 90s uh, hand-drawn 2D animated films. My personal opinion would be that Anastasia should stay apart from Disney mm-hmm. just so that there's an exception to the rule, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah, I think if if that were to happen, I, as a Disney fan, would be really excited and I would have no problems with it. I would love to see Anastasia in the parks. But uh, it just it kind of goes along with what Anastasia really wants in her life. I mean, Anastasia just wants a family. Know, right now, she, she has 20th Century Fox and that's not much of a family. We can give her a family she needs. But I, I actually think that the Don Bluth fans wouldn't be as excited about that. No, though. yeah, totally. Because they want their Don Bluth things to be separate and be like, no. I'm a Don Bluth fan. I don't think Don would be too happy. Like, he kind of distanced himself from Disney a long time ago and hasn't looked back. He has a brother who works at Disney, but it doesn't mean, like, the brother's gotten him a job, you know, again. So I think he kind of cut his ties with them, and I don't know. It might hurt him. Not hurt him, but I don't think he would appreciate it being absorbed back in there. Yeah. Well, I don't think he has any of the rights, really, to No, that's that's the unfortunate thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, Okay, so... I know they already mentioned this in the trailer, but speaking of Anastasia and 
the tryouts that they hold in the palace. It's not an Anastasia quotathon until someone says, Grandmama, it's me, Anastasia. <laughs> And then it's got the little, like, boosh. <laughs> and she, like, throws us her hips. <laughs> it was, like, tiny off. Awesome. Horrible. That is one of the best quotes in the film. I know. Like, what are you looking for in there? Like, the Russian circus. I think it's still in here. <laughs> I love her That's outfits, funny. though. They're great. No, yeah, she is. She's, she's got some cute lines. So Rasputin, he's this kind of sorcerer warlock guy. He puts a curse. He's always falling apart. He's got a crazy bat named Bartok. Um, I got a question about, like, watching this film, I came up with this question. Rasputin, should we fear him as the villain or should we pity him? <laughs> he's kind of a weird villain. I mean, like, he's got that menacing look. But the more I watch this film, the more I the more I realize that he's kind of a loser. <laughs> L7 Weenie <laughs> Here's the thing like You said should we pity him or should we fear him I think we should just despise him Because he is such a loser Yeah, You know I don't really feel bad for him In the state <laughs> he's in But I don't, I don't fear him at all because he's just like This comedic gag villain Like he's not really comedic to be taken gag villain. He's not, like, You're not meant to really take him seriously mm-hmm. Except for maybe at the beginning But then once he starts literally Falling apart that's where like his character just loses it for me because then he just becomes this gag after gag after gag and it it's not scary anymore and i don't really respect him anymore as a very overpowering villain so he's not a villain to be respected i that's what i'd say you know just a really quick do you have a really quick example of a villain that should be respected just kind of a contrast well i do i mean what's really cool is when i when when i watched it i noticed how his entrance into the main ball it reminded me so much of sleeping beauty so like you have melissa (laughs) Maleficent that comes in and she's just like, you know, the mistress of all evil, you know, just in like she really is just evil I think she would be the one to respect right there but you know you have on the contrary he comes in and he's he's saying the same thing of like by the evil powers vested within me I banish you with a curse that <laughs> within a fortnight every one of the Romanov family will be dead I know but except for how Maleficent comes in with this like creepy bird on the shoulder like this black crow but he comes in with this comedic white bat <laughs> which is like <laughs> definitely not as scary as as she is. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, Rasputin and Maleficent, they need to hang out or, like, hook up or something because they have a lot in common, like, (laughs) crashing parties, like, (laughs) pronouncing curses on everyone, except Maleficent is like, I am the mistress of all evil. And Rasputin is like, you didn't invite me and I'm really angry. (laughs) You know, so you kind of lose the power there. Yeah. That is true. Uh, does he have leprosy? <laughs> is that hey, what his careful, curse? Careful what you say. We don't want to offend lepers. <laughs> this year is a leper boat. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like, his limbs are always falling off. I mean, I think that was just his curse, like never-ending, uncurable leprosy. That's Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's well, so sad when you have a very like sickly villain. Yeah. Well, with those uh, with those occult like deals with the devil things that villains sometimes do, they usually have to give something up, you know. Yeah. So maybe his uh, you know molecular bonding or his uh, his skin health was the price to pay for his evil powers. Maybe it is just our soul that holds our body together. <laughs> true. True. I'm like. We're going to take it literally. <laughs> yeah, that's getting into like villain metaphysics there. Fascinating. <laughs> So here are my reasons for why Rasputin is a pathetic villain who should not be respected. (laughs) Number one, 
he's got a lame, evil sidekick. Like, okay, Maleficent had her bird, who really screwed things up. Like, it was bad. Yeah, he was It mean. had some horrible acts. Um, Flotsam and Jetsam, they totally ruined the kiss. That could have just ended the whole, <laughs> the whole, the whole ordeal for for, uh, for Ariel and Eric. Um, off the top of my head, I mean, you got other stuff. Uh, Doris, the bowler hat from Mitha Robinson was yeah. the true villain, and that was mm-hmm. a cool twist. Who does Rasputin have? Bartok. I give her a ha and a hoo-ha. And I kick her, sir. <laughs> Clearly not evil. In fact, in the last, in the climax of the movie, he even abandoned Rasputin and was like, "On your own, this can only end in tears." <laughs> yeah, absolutely no loyalty. It yeah. makes you wonder, like, how he found himself with Ras- partnering up with Rasputin in the first place. Yeah, they have nothing in common, and Bartok <laughs> never, like, never supports him in what yeah, he's doing. It's true. <laughs> like, why, looking back, I'm like, Bartok, why do you have that green vial with you all these years? Just throw it away. <laughs> That's that's old baggage. You can move on from that. It's like Bartok's in this relationship, you know, where yeah. where Rasputin's just kind of this leech and, like, you know, he's stuck to him and he can't leave, but, you know, he really wants to leave. He doesn't like the boyfriend anymore, but he wants to get out, but he can't. But then Whoa, the boyfriend, boyfriend finally okay. goes away and he still can't get over this guy. <laughs> that's kind of how this relationship is. It's pretty unhealthy, Bartok. I mean, you mean it's a boyfriend relationship? No, but you know what I mean. But, no, yeah, it's, it's that it's a very codependent relationship. Like, he's asked to, like, I have to be the one to, like, help you out. I mean, I feel bad for you because you're just, like, totally, everything's going bad for you, sir. But I will be here to help you and do what I can. <laughs> like, wow, that's a good impression. Hey, thanks. I think that that's what it is. Like, he's just so codependent. He has to have somebody to, like, kind of console. Or, yeah. <laughs> okay, so not only does he have a lame, evil sidekick, he actually dependent on this lame evil sidekick no, the, who's not even evil it's true like he's actually a good bat yeah he is okay reason number two the little green demons in the vial did all of Rasputin's dirty work like okay true like he is trying to kill Anastasia and he does some really freaky things with like invading her, invading her dreams and like That's blowing crazy. up the train but all the truly diabolical acts were performed by the little green dudes in the, the evil capsule yeah well that's the thing that like makes him even more of a lame villain is the fact that he never ever had the powers himself to one get rid of the Romanoff family two to get rid of Anastasia at the very beginning like he's so helpless that he has to sell his soul to the devil so the devil can do the job for him in the form of these little green demons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And I don't need, did he even, sh- yeah, he wasn't even in uh, Anya's dream. No. It was a demon that was talking yeah, to her. Yeah. <laughs> Move over, Inception. These guys huh. have been invading your dreams since, like, 1997. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> what a hipster. Don Bluth has always been the hipster in these things. In a good way. It is. So reason number three, This and this was just like, I never thought about this till I watched it a couple nights ago. So he's in limbo, Rasputin, and he has he's had like years, like ten years, plenty of time, to think of some amazing, well thought out evil plan, you know, while he's there in limbo. And how does he spend his time? It appears that he spent ten years training all those little bug critters to dance and sing. <laughs> terrible, terrible minions, you know, it's like, okay, the moment has finally come. Bartok's here. Okay, let's uh, remember our places, everyone, and go. You know? <laughs> in the dark of the night. Find her. You know? And you never, they're not even minions, you know? You never even see those little limbo bugs after um, Rasputin blasts off out of there. And that's another thing. Why didn't he just blast off then? Like, could he not blast off without the 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 relic relic thing? Yeah, I don't think he could have. 
Because he didn't even know why he was there. He was like, that's why I'm here in Limbo, because she's still alive. And oh, yeah, you're right. My okay, so, so maybe in Limbo, and this is getting into the villain metaphysics again, maybe there is no time. Oh, time vortex. Uh-oh. Time vortex right there in Limbo. <laughs> huh. No, but he, he's like, I've been wasting away all these years. Yeah. So Ten years we've been rusting. Needing so much more of the dusting. <laughs> oh, man. It's the same period of time. Ten years. That's the only amount of time that this vortex works. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so true. Okay, conspiracy time, everyone. <laughs> Should it be that the time vortex in Beauty and the Beast had something to do with this limbo time vortex? Well, they were around the same time period that these movies okay. came out. So We're really getting into metaphysics here. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so in conclusion, folks, Rasputin is not a very good villain, and he should not be respected. Because he's just pitiful for the above reasons. Lame evil sidekick. He doesn't really do personally any of the diabolical acts in, that he does in the movie. It's not him. It's someone else. And he spends his time, you know, training insects to, like, dance and sing. When he, <laughs> he should be do, doing something better, you know, better villainous things. So, yeah. All in all, Rasputin, terrible villain. Sorry. Yeah, I just think, you know, just, like, to close up, like, talking about Rasputin. I just think it's funny that in all these stories that, like, the king, the ruler, whoever, they always, like, keep these really creepy guys around, <laughs> like, as their, like, number one head honcho. <laughs> you know, there's, like, Jafar, there's Rothbart from The Swan Princess, yes. there's Wormtail from Harry Potter, for example. Yes. I mean, why were there's, they fr- why were they friends with Wormtail? <laughs> and, then, there's, and there's Wormtongue in Lord of the Rings. Yes, exactly. So, I I don't know why. Like, personally, when, don't you think anyone's, like... Dad, this guy's really creepy. Can you can you kick him out? I don't like him. I think a loving, caring father would try to dispose of creepy guys from the palace. Oh, but man. I mean, well, well, honey, well, sweetie, it's uh, you know, budget wise, a worm tongue is just way easier to hire. <laughs> no one else was available. Yeah, but then again, like it, it's like suddenly this big surprise when this guy turns to, out to be a dastardly villain and like wants all this power and goes crazy on a killing spree. It's like to me, day one, if I saw Rasputin or Jafar or someone, I'd be like, "You gotta get out of here. <laughs> You're gonna overthrow me." Well, you know the real story behind this, right? Like, yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah. But it's interesting how even this, like, it happened for real. Yeah. The Romanov family had their young, one of their sons had, like, this blood disease or something wrong with him. He was always sick and couldn't do anything. So they brought in this mystical healer, mm-hmm. you know, to try and, like, help their son. So it's out of love that this happened. But in the end, ha-ha, Rasputin <laughs> really was a creeper. <laughs> okay, so let's go back. We've talked a little bit. Uh, let's talk about Puka, the yeah. dog. Okay, speaking of conspiracies, you know who the real villain of this story is? Who? Puka, the little puppy. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, tell Barf. me why. <laughs> okay, on the outside, he's a typical lovable animal sidekick. I mean, look at him. <laughs> but on the inside, I think he's the true villain. I think he is. This Okay, this goes a little deeper than we initially thought. Did you notice? Okay, first of all, I was suspicious with how Puka's moods, mood changed. And the second half of the film, once Dimitri said that he wasn't taking the money, <laughs> I think he had a cut. I what? think he, I think he expected a cut in the reward money for finding Anastasia, <laughs> and I think out of anger, or I think out of like revenge on Anastasia, 
Okay, did you notice that he noted he led Anastasia right into Rasputin's trap? Like he was like, Bark, bark, follow me through the hedge maze. And she's like, Okay. You know, and they go through they go through and, and Puka's just like leading her through it, but they never explain why. Like, okay, usually it's the animal is like hypnotized or it's actually the villain in disguise. No, this was Puka, the that same little dog leading her into Rasputin's trap. His motivation, who knows? Revenge, maybe. Rasputin offered him a reward for turning Anastasia in. All I can say is that Puka had a hand in that. He was conscientiously leading Anastasia to her doom. Well, maybe Puka was actually had been taken over. His body had been taken over by one of the uh, Green Devils. But they never resolved that. Oh, yeah, wouldn't his eyes be like glowing green? <laughs> you know, something like that. Well, Some sort of telltale sign for the audience, like, oh, it's okay. He's not really that evil. He was just, you know, possessed. <laughs> I personally think that Puka is kind of a throwaway character. I think it's not a secret how I feel about lovable sidekicks to our heroines. But, um, like, he's not necessary. I mean, and he's, like, a super easy way to move the plot along. Like you just said, he... Okay, how is Anastasia going to confront Rasputin? Okay, the dog's going to lead her there. Okay, how is Anastasia going to make it to St. Petersburg instead of the fish factory? Oh, a random dog is going to pop out of the snow... And show her there. You know, there's the part where she's like, send me a sign, a hint, anything. And then a random dog pops out and she's like, okay, I can take a hint. There could have been like easier ways. To, I don't know, maybe not. But I know the, the dog and the lovable sidekick is there to like keep somewhat the kids entertained. But if Puka would have, I don't know, not been so easy. Or evil. <laughs> or evil. Then I don't know. I think it would have made it like slightly better. But I... I would keep Puka over Rasputin in his current form. I think Rasputin, in the way that he is in the movie, kind of makes the movie lesser because he's just such a joke. If Rasputin was more, like, formidable and scary, um, this movie could be amazing. But instead, yeah. like, it's awesome, 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 Rasputin's a joke, awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah. I so I, could keep, I would keep Puka for a more awesome version of Rasputin. Yeah. Puka, bad, bad puppy. So do you know? Do y'all know who voiced Vladimir, Dimitri's partner? Hint, hint, he played a villain in Toy Story 2. Kelsey Grammer! Kelsey Grammer! Yay! He's a psych show Bob. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Fraser Crane. I love I him. I just called him Fraser. I didn't know his name was Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's basically how I know him, too. Oh, yeah. I, is, I have something to say about his wardrobe during the his interviews on the Making of featurettes. Oh, I guess yeah. that was just the 90s anyway. He's got like a Tommy Bahama, like, Hawaiian hey, down shirt, and he's got his <laughs> shirt tucked into some khaki shorts, and he's like wearing sandals. Hey, Love he, it. He came to Arizona, and he's like, it's going to be hot. I'll be. Oh, yeah, you're right. That is Arizona, That's, so that makes sense. I'll be honest. That's kind of what my dad wears all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, Chelsea's dad. <laughs> One of my favorite Vladimir quotes is when he's on the train, and he's like, that's what I hate about this country. Everything's in red. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, that's clever. I never cared for Stroganoff. She said that like a Romanoff. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I love Kelsey Grammer. And I recall his yellow cat. I don't believe you told her that. <laughs> You know, Kelsey Grammer, he did he did the singing he did his singing lines himself. I think everyone else had um had a, oh, a voice a different voice person do their singing lines. Oh, oh. he's awesome. Like there's no need for somebody else to do his singing voice. There's just Well, you know, he is classically trained. 
air quote. It's um, when the train gets ransacked, and he's like, Dimitri was like, what was that? He's like, I don't know, but there goes the dining car. <laughs> but there goes the dining car. I love that part, too, That's really because funny. it's like, he, he looks over, and like the the whole other thing is like being flown away and it's on fire and he's like somebody has flambéed our engine and then Dimitri's like stay here I gotta go check this out there's something I think there's something wrong <laughs> obviously there's something wrong <laughs> so where did everybody everybody just kind of disappeared from that train like you never really see that where did they go did they get like blown up did they, well you know once things started going wrong and they had to cut themselves off the train or they have to jump off. Where's everybody else? I think we just look over the fact that they all died. <laughs> oh, no, I think oh, you just like gosh. cut them off and then you just like stopped off somewhere. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, okay. Stranded off in the, the middle end, of the... the end of the train was the one that caught on fire just where they were, the baggage car. Yeah. But everyone else just kind of slowed to a stop and was yeah. just chilling. Okay, well, that's a lot. That's no, better. They, yes. No, they didn't. Yeah, they did. Everybody fell off the bridge that got destroyed. No, no it no. was just the one car. Just the just the conductor right? that died. <laughs> hmm. hmm. Uh, no, no, and there weird. wasn't Another even a conductor. Question. That's why they had to like go over there. It got cut off, and then they left, and so now that whole train is now stranded in the middle of Siberia, and they're probably going to end up dying. Yes, but you know, at least they didn't die in that moment. <sighs> okay, next character who I love is okay. This is randomly thrown in here, but Sophie. I think Sophie rocks. I like Sophie. A funny story about the girl who plays her. Her name is Bernadette Peters. Um, and, you know, she's perfect for the voice. She does a beautiful, like, French accent, right? But apparently she was really dispo- disappointed when she finally saw Sophie's design because she thought that she was too big. <laughs> you know, and, like, but, like, you know, she thought she was too big bones. But, like, I think that's what makes Sophie amazing is that yeah. she's this amazing curvy girl. More than just curvy. She's a really yeah. curvy girl. But she's incredible. And so I think it's just funny this lady was like, Ugh, can you make her skinnier? <laughs> it's like she almost wants, a, like, a portrait of herself put in there. I know. <laughs> oh, jeez. I think it really worked that she was, you know, larger and, and, and more curvy, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. She had, I love how you had the French maid type that comes up to the door when they first get there. She's like, hello. <laughs> and then she, like, totally throws her aside and, hello, I'm here. <laughs> well, well, yeah, and then they play up that little romance between her and Vladimir or that little relationship that they have. And I think it gives the, I think it gives, like, more depth and spirit to the movie and it makes it more fun. So, yeah. And you got to have someone who matches with that with that type of character. Yeah. So speaking real quick back to Vladimir, what was okay? So he mentioned like I was a part of the Russian royal court. Like, what exactly does that mean? Like, because he goes to the party at the end and he's wearing his sash. Like, was he just part like a lesser version of you know a lesser uh, hierarchy? And was kind of just thrown aside when the government was overthrown. You know, he could just say he was the janitor. I mean, <laughs> oh, no. be janitors don't get sashes. No, they don't. They oh, work yeah, in, you're right. They work in the kitchen. That's why and Dimitri. Can I, stay. I would hope janitors don't work in the kitchen. <laughs> anyway, um, who knows? Maybe he was a maybe he was a military guy. Uh, maybe he was. Um, yeah, yeah. 
you know, that would explain why he wasn't at the ball and doesn't remember it because he was out fighting the socialists, you know, Lenin and his guys. But <laughs> I will admit, it probably would have helped me to brush up on my Russian history before watching this film because there's a little bit of it. I don't think it's, like, required for this film. No, yeah. I mean, I, I remember reading there were a lot of people, a lot of Russians loved this movie, and then there was a small, like, select group, you know, of course, always, like, a purist who really hated the movie. But then, like, some of these historians were like, here's the thing. If 100 people see this movie and 10 of them become interested in Russian history, then that's a win for us. Yeah. So we'll take it. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's a good point. Which is true. Like, this kind of does make me more interested and want to learn about, okay, so what's, what's the real story about Anastasia? Why were the Romanovs overthrown? Like, what were the... Because really, this doesn't even talk about what was the motivation for the people. It kind of makes the royalty look like the victims. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, like, we really don't see the other side of the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to brush up on my Russian history just to know what Bartok looked like in real life. <laughs> oh, well, you know, speaking of Bartok, you know, Hank Azaria, even though, yeah, Bartok isn't like the greatest, like, side villain type person, but I loved Hank Azaria in it. I loved how the voice that he gave to it. I don't know. I think anything Hank Azaria does is awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, they could have gotten gone in so many, like, wrong, like, cliche directions with this, with Bartok, but it, he made a really unique character out of the voice. Yeah. Oh, Bartok, he's like, you know, you should... I can't I do this, this voice. Yeah. Chelsea, you do it. You know, you should really watch your blood pressure there, sir. My nephew, is he just killed over. Mid mango. Stress. It's a killer, sir. <laughs> Dude, you are so good at that. <laughs> and he was a fruit bat. No meat. No blood even. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I love that quote. You know, watching the making of featurette, that guy who did Bartok's voice, he did a lot of improvisation, which I think is really good and, and healthy for a for an animated film. Yes, yeah. I agree. And then we got other, like, for an honorable mention, we don't want to forget these characters. Angela Lansbury, um, she was Mrs. Potts. She was in a ton of films, uh, was the Grand Duchess. And then you got Christopher Lloyd, who often plays villains as Rasputin. And let's not forget the orphanage lady. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lots of squetch. Squatch and stretch there. Yeah. I loved all of the I loved all the background voices that they had in here. Like sometimes you'll just hear like one random voice here or there, like in different songs, like the oh, yeah. Not even Freud knows the cure. <laughs> I love well, that, this that is well, that is Sigmund Freud. Like, the whole point of the Paris song was there was, like, a ton of uh, celebrities from, you know, from old school France that were featured in that song. Yeah, right. But, I mean, just, like, the voices that they put in were awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, I like that, too. They did a good job on that. Okay, so now let's talk about the songs. These are very memorable and important part of this film, I think, and significant. I had the CD. I loved it. Rewatching the movie and listening to the songs, I think the majority of the songs are very, very well done and memorable and definitely worthy on my Disney playlist. They always come up on my Disney playlist. I love them so much. I don't have a Disney playlist. I really like the songs. The lyricist for this movie, she did a pretty, she had a pretty good line. She said, people sing when they're too emotional to talk anymore. That was kind of what they did for Anastasia. Whenever things got really emotional or a character really, you know, got there, got worked up about something, they would sing. That's a great formula for animated films, you know, or for musicals in general. So I really liked how she put in that extra detail there. And I think it's totally the case for this film. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's like if singing isn't enough and then they dance. (laughs) So that's why you have so much dancing around here because it's just, I guess the Russians are just very, you know, exuberant people. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I didn't really remember any of the songs as a kid except for um, 
in the dark of the night is that is that what it's called <laughs> Rasputin song? Yeah. Hey, Rasputin is he has some legitimacy. He has his own song in this film, so he's not totally lame. Yeah. And then I really liked uh, I really liked the Once Upon a December motif that they kind of play through. You know, it's kind of the link between Anastasia and her past. Do you think Once Upon a December is the bigger single or the more memorable song than Journey to the Past? No, not really. I think Journey to the Past is a little more, a little bit, you know, more, has more presence. Mm -hmm. I liked Once Upon a December better, I think, though. I agree. Yeah, when I think of this movie, I think, man, if I'm going to, like, name this movie in one song... It'd probably be Once Upon December, but, like, I don't want to have to do that because I like all the songs yeah. in it. Like, I don't want to leave them out. Yeah. In the Dark of the Night is up there on villain songs. It's a good... These songs are good. Yeah, that's I like it because it's got, like, crazy cool guitar in it, too. Mm-hmm. Yes! That's one of my favorite things about contemporary, like, songs is when they have, like, electric guitar riffs in the background. <laughs> This film also received nominations for several awards, including two for the Oscars, uh, one for Best Original Song for Journey to the Past, and Best Original Music, uh, or Best Original Musical or Comedy Score. So I was really impressed. They did a fantastic job with all of them, I think. Okay, let's move on into the animation section. We'll talk about this movie, how it was animated, what we liked about it. So first and foremost, CGI. And lots of it. Yeah, totally. Watching it this time around, like, it really showed that it was in the 90s and, you know, right when CGI was going around for films. I think in some ways, like, it's obvious, a little too obvious. Like, the music box, you can totally tell it's CGI. And <laughs> mm-hmm. It's floating around. And I guess they had, <laughs> I can see in some parts they kind of had trouble making it flow to where it looked like people were carrying it, you know, yeah. holding it in their hands. And then uh, you, got, you had the train and the ship. Those were obviously CGI. Uh, the the what do you call it? The relic what? Reliquary. Reliquary. The relic. The rel. <laughs> the reliquary that Rasputin. You know, with all of Rasputin's evil powers. That's so obviously CGI. <laughs> but they did some really innovative things with it. You know, such as such as the 3D layouts. Like the most obvious ones that stood out to me were when Anya first enters the old palace. Mm, yes. And she's walking up that stairs and the camera just kind of swoops over her and it's like, whoa, there's no way they could have done that with mm-hmm. a... That's they epic. could have changed his perspective with that, with like a traditional layout. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's an awesome... Very awesome. Yeah, you know. Yeah. A lot of times in those, you know, in those late 90s animated films and or cartoon series, <clears throat> Beast Wars, it just <laughs> looks like they were taking shortcuts with the CGI, you know. But using it for layouts was really cool. You also see it on the ship, like in the little cabin they were sleeping in. Mm-hmm. A little less obvious, but man, they did some cool things with that. I found the CGI to be very distracting as well. When I first saw it, and even today, like it just was very obvious to me. The layouts didn't bother me. I think they actually add a lot when um, a character is moving and the background is moving with the CGI camera. But the most distracting part for me were the objects that were CGI, and then more importantly, the vehicles. It seems like mm-hmm. anything that was a vehicle that had wheels or moved in some way, a train, boat, car, bicycle... It was CGI, and it just looked too shiny, too rigid, too perfect. Um, yeah. It was just kind of like, whoa, here's the 2D world, here's the 3D things they're riding on. Um, and, like, I do praise them for, for being innovative and to and for using those things um, and for using CGI to, to, you know, to make a more innovative, exciting film. But, I mean, it's just... They didn't do it in a way that, like, the Iron Giant did it, where they they blended a bit easier. I mean, Iron Giant was two years later, so, yeah. I mean, it gets better and better and better. But I, I still, like, that's one of the things that, even when I was little, I noticed that they were off. But 
today I can look past it and I can still enjoy the movie without having to be so critical about it. For me, I think the only thing that really bothered me was the Pegasus. <laughs> like, that one was just the only thing that I just always thought kind of looked a little unfinished and even out of place. Mm-hmm. Like, just came out of nowhere. Like, this Pegasus thing that ha- doesn't even look the same at all. Um, but everything else, I can kind of look past even, like, the fact that they're all cars are like that, or yeah. all of them are like that. You know, it's just everything else. I'm kind of just, eh, it's okay. Like the- yeah, the the Pegasus guy was pretty cheap, <laughs> and it has some awesome scenes and some some awesome animation. Just looking at the the 2D aspect of it. One thing I know is that there's a lot of rotoscoping. We talked about the uh, scenes where everybody dances and stuff, and the de- well, they definitely took reference from actual live footage and it's in the uh, the development featurettes, you know, the making of featurettes. Yeah, which a lot of so people that, do. Even the yeah, classic totally. Disney films, they all have reference. But was it reference or was it straight-up rotoscoping? Because watching some of Don Bluth's films, like, from before, like Titan A, you know, uh, that later, you know, that occurred later, like Titan AE, um, that used a lot of rotoscoping. So... I don't know. Some scenes it looks like they did straight up rotoscoping. Yeah. Like, um, not as much as other films I've seen, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, his characters are kind of too perfect and, and human-like in a way, in the way they move. So this is kind of a debate on the internet. Like, well, did they rotoscope on this movie or didn't they? Did they just use it as reference? And so as I was kind of researching it, I came across a YouTube video for someone who worked in the studio. He kind of made, it's called the unofficial behind-the-scenes making of mm-hmm. Anastasia. And he, so, like, a bunch of people were asking, like, did they rotoscope? Did they rotoscope? Like, they totally did. It's so obvious. And he wrote a little comment back, which I thought was kind of interesting to read, because this is someone who worked from the studio. I I didn't catch his name, but this is his comment. As there was so much human animation needed in Anastasia, there was a huge amount of live-action footage shot as reference for the animators, especially for the choreographed dance sequences. But this was used as reference, not rotoscoping. Some animators adhered to the movement styling of the reference material than others, but this was definitely not a rotoscope project. As a point of perspective, compare and contrast the volumes of the Snow White character animation opposed to the Rasputin character animation. Rotoscoping can cause a floating line effect. It doesn't allow for the squash and stretch (laughs) and hits problems when you have a straight on poses. Actually, it is very restrictive when it comes to pretty much all of the 12 basic principles of animation. Okay, well that clarifies a lot. So it was used for Reference, but it wasn't straight up tracing rotoscoping, yeah. which makes sense. Because where where would they find a guy like Rasputin to rotoscope <laughs> off? Of? Yeah, I think I think that it was used mainly for reference for the main characters. But if you look at background characters just walking around, like before the ballet or um, in the train station, those looked much different than the main characters. Those look pretty rotoscoped to me because those are kind of last-minute things we got to get them done. But then if you compare those background characters to, you know, Anastasia and Vladimir and Dimitri, you can tell, okay, there's a difference in what happened here. Like, at least that's that's my opinion. That's how I feel. And, okay, can I just clarify? Okay, just because we're called the rotoscopers doesn't mean we think that rotoscoping is the most awesome thing <laughs> in the world. <laughs> I know, like, on a few episodes we've mentioned, like, oh, yeah, there's, like, rotoscoping here, but... Um, they've both been during Don Bluth films, so uh-huh. I think that's kind of a theme. 
But obviously we know that this is nothing compared to full-fledged animation. A while ago we got some like bitter hate mail from someone like criticizing the name of our podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. and, oh, I like, forgot that guy. <laughs> and like he was going off about how much rotoscoping sucks. And he's like, I can't believe you call yourself the rotoscopers. Like, no one in the industry is going to take you seriously. You guys are such a pathetic joke. <laughs> I'm like, come on, we're not rescued. <laughs> it still hurts. <laughs> I know. Like, it did hurt at the time, but, like, we obviously got over it. Because like, we were like, okay, we know they obviously did not listen to the podcast because, like, it's not like we're a podcast all about rotoscoping. That would be kind of boring, and I don't think people would like us. Oh, and the reason we call ourselves the rotoscopers is because, like, we're not the ones who are, like, the experts in the studios creating the films. We're kind of, like, doing it from behind, kind of making our own copy version of it. So that's kind of why we call ourselves the rotoscopers, because we're kind of going over everything that they've already done and talking about it and doing our best. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. So anyways, like, we don't think rotoscoping is so awesome. It's just a technique, and it's kind of an easy one to talk about. So we do. And uh, so, yeah, some last points about the animation. Lots of reflections and, like, mirrors in Anastasia. Ooh. I think they were looking for opportunities to do this, you know, through the miracle of computer technology. They were able to do a lot of scenes where there's like a mirror or some sort of reflected image. Either it's a character or something. So I noticed that a lot. And then um, I love the uh, Monet-style layouts during the Paris song sequence. And, uh, yeah, so I, I really like that. You know what? I, there's a couple scenes I really like. One, you can't have an epic adventure movie unless you have the, the travel montage with, like, the big map and the planes traveling across it, or, like, the oh, red yeah. line, you know, <laughs> Russia to Germany to France, you know? <laughs> Great way to, like, pass the, pass the time. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, it's not, like, it never fails Indiana Jones, you know, George of the Jungle. You can't have one of those adventurous movies without that kind of montage. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you put those two in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> one thing, also, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be a Don Bluth film without any, like, glowing mystical sparkles around, you know? You have, oh, that's right. You have, like, the reliquary and the ghost and all the dream sequences. And, of course, the crowns. Yes. Like, they had a lot of that that just I was mean, like, ooh, they <laughs> pretty. Sparkly. <laughs> but Don Bluth, yeah, he does that a lot. Um, basically, all of his movies, he's got something like that that just, like, glows. No, yeah, glows. I appreciated the crowns and how they just, like, glittered like no other. Yeah. You know, that was kind of, like, a cool effect. I love the scene where Anya is in the old palace and she's like imagining herself, what would it be like to be a princess and having all the lavish stuff and then the ghost you know the ghostly people come out of the paintings. That's so cool. Like very haunted mansion, you know. Yeah, yeah. Wonder I thought that was a really cool effect. I like how the like the dust like spews off of the uh -huh. portraits every time that they come out. It's like whoosh. Spews. Yeah. Oh that's awesome. Oh that's an awesome scene. <laughs> I got a random thing for y'all. Was anyone paying attention to the bell tower? You know, Rasputin and Bartok open the bell tower, and they're like, yes, we will lead her to the doom. And there's rats, like, looking up at them. Do you ever notice how long their ears are? So are those rats or dachshunds? Like, <laughs> if you go back to that scene, they really look like little dachshunds. Like, Rasputin, you know, when he's in limbo, he controls all the creepy bugs. When he's on Earth, you know, he has control over, you know, black evil dachshunds. You know, they follow him around. But that's what it looks like to me. I don't know. Go back and see that scene because it really looks like him. We'll take your word for it. <laughs>
So here's a cool little tidbit. So that picture that Anastasia, you know, once she discovers who she is and the grandma accepts her and they're they're kind of sitting, reliving the past. And the grandma gives her a picture of this, like, girl. And she's she's like, sitting oh. Sitting on a stool type looking thing. Yeah. She's like, Olga said this. I look like a fat pig riding a donkey <laughs> or something. And so that actually was a real picture that the real Anastasia drew. And that's actually what her sister said about it, that she thought it looked like wow. a fat pig riding a donkey. So that's kind of that's like really an cool. interesting, cool little thing that they threw in there. And Another random tidbit. This doesn't have anything to do with history. So what is with the pink bat at the end of the movie that just appears? Like, okay, Anastasia, her story's all accumulated and we're so excited for her. They're dancing, happy ending. Oh, let's pan to Bartok. What? He has a love interest? Who's this (laughs) pink bat? Like, where did this come from? A random love interest shows up. Like, why do we... Was this a problem for him that he didn't have a love love interest now that Rasputin's gone? I think, you know... (laughs) That like was totally random that they put that in. Like, I would have been okay not having Bartok's storyline concluded. Yeah, the end of that story. Yeah. Maybe maybe they had fears that people would question the relationship between Bartok and Rasputin. <laughs> well, I wonder if they actually thought that they would get another movie out of Bartok. I don't think they think that when they're making these. But probably not. You but... know what I mean? Like, you just don't have enough time <laughs> to think, like, how can we work like, a sequel? Remember, folks, we're going to make a totally cheap knockoff of this film after we're done. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's, uh, get some, let's, let's get some drama, let's get some romance going that people look forward to. <laughs> I know, I know, we'll have Bartok have, like, a girl bat at the end. <laughs> That's a killer idea. Okay, put that in. <laughs> I have an idea. Can we put in a better villain? What? That's that's a terrible idea. <laughs> Go back Next. to your cubicle. <laughs> you know, I got some unanswered questions about this film. Yes. I've already got my conspiracies. I got my conspiracy theories and stuff about this film. This film left me with some unanswered questions. So why is it that nobody remembers anything from the 10 years ago? I mean, it was only 10 years ago since Anastasia, you know, was lost to the world. Mm-hmm. And she didn't look that young in the the opening sequence. She was like 12 during the flashback. Mm-hmm. So how does she not remember being the princess? Like, she doesn't remember any of that. You know, it's kind of weird. Well, she said earlier she was eight and, you know, it, it was traumatic. So sometimes they suppress those memories. I guess that I happens. <laughs> I remember stuff when I was eight. I don't know. She just had major head trauma that caused a lot of memory loss. And so very unfortunate situation for her. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, you would think you would remember being this amazing princess. I don't know. But sometimes when there's a really traumatic, like, situ- something that happens in your life, a lot of people, whether they want to or not, they suppress it and they try to forget about it. So, like, her whole family being killed combined with losing her grandma and not getting on the train and then falling and hitting her head. Those three things could have combined to just, like, wipe the slate clean. Yeah, combined with Rasputin's total lack of hygiene. <laughs> I would want to blot that out, too. <laughs> okay, I got another one. Why didn't Dimitri just show the grand-grandma duchess the uh, the music box in the first place? Like, hey, I think I really have the real Anastasia. She has this necklace that you gave her, and look, here's your music box. <laughs> ding, 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 proof! No need to kidnap her. Okay, like, I understand if he showed her the music box, that would work, but I don't think anyone knew about the necklace. Even Dimitri didn't really know what it was. So he knew that there a music box existed, but I don't think he knew that the necklace was the key to the music box. So that's why he couldn't be like, oh, hey, just show her your, your necklace. Like, he could have shown her the music box, and that would have solved a lot of problems. Yeah. Maybe he was just trying to keep it as, like, a trophy or something. <laughs> okay, <laughs> speaking of, like, Romanov relics and memorabilia, don't you think uh-huh. it's funny that you, they go into the palace, like, first off, it's super easy to get in there. Yeah. 
Like, they're just holding auditions, no big deal. She just walks into the palace. They get there, and the place is not ransacked at all. Like, everything's dusty and, and cobwebs, and everything's oh, perfectly yeah. in order. Yeah. Like, if, I think if this happened in real life, that place would have been torn up, smashed, destroyed, stolen, ransacked. And, like, that song, Rumor in St. Petersburg, makes it seem like people have been hoarding Romanov's stuff or yeah. that it's really valuable. Oh, yeah, because they have stuff that's like, this is the pajamas of this guy. Yeah. Like, and, whether, and whether those historically, things... He, historically, the name she mentions is the guy that killed Rasputin. Oh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Did not know anyway. Yeah, you know, it makes me think that... The- the old palace is has not been closed down. It's been enchanted, a la Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> hear me out. Hear me out. There's you know there's dust everywhere, but it still has all the old furnishings. So I bet okay. there's like, you know, I bet in the off season the the you know the enchanted staff from Beauty and the Beast castle goes over to Saint went over to Saint Petersburg, you know, <laughs> to like tidy up that place, you know. But I bet that's that's another theory. I bet this uh, Romanov Palace is actually enchanted and not closed down by the government. Uh, I like it. But then why would Dmitry and Vladimir be there? I don't know. I'll go look on some discussion boards. <laughs> One question that always bugged me is how in the world does her hair grow so quickly while on the ship? Like, the moment okay. she, like, changes her dress, it, like, goes really, really long, and it's all pretty. When before, it was just, like, this, like, hack job, somebody who just worked <laughs> in the... Somebody who worked in the... And the orphanage just hacked it off, and, you know, that was it. And I'm just thinking, why is it that all of these princesses have to have, like, this long, beautiful, luscious, like, beautiful hair? There's definitely a standard length for princess hair going on. It's true. And I'll be honest, I always, you know, wanted to get to that length. I never could, because it would always get gross at that point. But but it's true. Like, I'm thinking, like, is short hair, like, a symbol of poverty in these movies or something? I don't know. No. Guys just like long hair on girls. No, no, no. Like, I don't think her hair changes. I think it's always kind of the same length, but she's wearing a hat at the beginning and it's kind of like put up in a bun and then she has these nasty banged things and you do see those and when she puts the dress on they kind of become like more curled and fancier. But I think she had long hair the whole time. It's just not as obvious because she's wearing hats or it's put up in a weird way. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I think so. All right, whatever. When she's at the opera or the play or whatever with Dimitri, she's in that, you know, that gorgeous dress and whatever, and her hair's up in a bun. Yeah. You know, Audrey Byrne style. Ooh, la la. And, um, I have one bit of trivia that I'd like to put out there. You know, when Dimitri is walking down from the Grand Duchess's room, and she, he sees Anastasia. Then you have the little like helper dude right there, and he's just like, he's like, "You will address the princess as your highness." <laughs> Do you know who that voice is? Um, no, Johnny Depp. No, his uh, name is Arthur Mollet, who was also the voice of Mister Ages in Secret of Nim, mm-hmm. and was oh. also he was Toodles in Hook. <laughs> oh, lost, lost, lost! What'd you lose? I've lost my marbles. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh, that's, that's interesting. That's, that's like to that's it. him. Awesome. <laughs> okay, I hear some other trivia. What year does the film begin? Nineteen seventeen. Nineteen sixteen. Oh. Dang it! Uh, okay, next. When they go to the ballet, what ballet do they see? Cinderella. Cinderella. Yes. Cinderella. And and what is the real name of Rasputin? In Rob Roland? Zombie. No. Dang it. It's Gregory Efimovich. Okay. Well, he looks yes. a lot like Rob Zombie. <laughs> 
Okay, so now to close it off, we have some listener Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook questions that we asked. So since we had such a big, long discussion about Rasputin, we asked, how do you feel about Rasputin as a villain? And I didn't want to lead them by saying, is he a great villain or a pathetic villain? I just wanted, like, their thoughts. Let's read them. So... Neil Molly from Twitter says, I think he's a pretty solid villain. He has a pretty kick-a song, too. Very good. <laughs> Very good. Um, this one's from J.S. Lewis. He was actually my TA in a film class I took last semester. Oh, nice. um, He oh, says nice. that the song In the Dark of the Night makes it all of significant worth. Plus, it is always fun to have your villain fall apart. Oh, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he is falling apart, like, literally. Yes. Here's another one from Facebook. It's Michelle Ange says, I don't know how I could take him seriously when his sidekick is an adorable bat. I heart Hank Azaria. But I must say, Christopher Lloyd's voice definitely made the man sinister and spooky. Had he not been the voice, I don't know if I would have been as scared of him as I was. Also, the scene when Anastasia almost falls off the boat? Creepy. Can't wait to hear the podcast. Oh, thanks. And Tanira Freeman, she says, In the Dark of the Night is an amazing villain song. Up there with Be Prepared in my mind. And all of his limbs always falling off scared the crap out of me as a youngin. LOL. That's kind of funny. Awesome. Like Everyone's kind of commenting that, yes, he is scary, that he's not as pathetic as we think he is. And two, falling off limbs adds to his scariness. And his song is wonderful. Yeah. That's kind of funny. So I guess we're, we're establishing that his scary side is established by his gruesomeness. Mm, maybe. And here's one more from Awesome Reviewer on Tumblr. He says, he's decent. I wish his character was more consistent, though. Sometimes he's menacing, and other times he's an idiot. Kind of ruins the effect. Which I, I agree. So it's our favorite time of the podcast. Maybe not. Maybe. <laughs> Where we rate it. And so before we rate it, I just want to read what Roger Ebert reviewed. He says, it was entertaining and sometimes exciting. <laughs> so random. Okay. So, okay. Never mind. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. I will rate it four and a half stars. I think this movie is beautifully drawn. The animation is wonderful. The CGI, while it's new and upcoming, it, it does serve a purpose and it's kind of cool at times. And I forgive it for being, you know, new in the anime, in the process. Like, I can't hold it against itself for being not as developed as it is 15 years later. Um, I love the voice characters. I love the I love everything about this movie, except for Rasputin. I think he kind of, like, brings the movie down a little bit by being too comedic and too gaggy. So for that reason, for just kind of him being a bit of a lame sauce villain, I give it four and a half stars. I got to give this four stars. I think it's really good. Like, it's definitely better than three stars. Yeah, that makes sense. Four yes. is better than three. <laughs> <laughs> I, really think it's, I really think it's Don Bluth's best film, says I. I. I like how they tried to innovate with the CGI. Rasputin could have been a little better. But other than that, like, it's a really solid movie and really quality, real quality animation. I think it's Don Bluth at his best. Four stars. I'm going to say that I'm going to give this four and a half stars as well. Um, my only gripe is a little bit different. It's just I just wish that they had like one or two really awesome songs that I could put into my playlist. But I think that would have really solidified it for me if they would have just had that a little bit extra one more just to put the seal on that one. But I love it. Four and a half stars. Okay, closing it out. Uh, any last thoughts? I love animation. <laughs> I'm glad we were able to get back together for this one. Yeah, it was fun, good old rip-roar and fun time. Yeah. 
Well, everyone should go and enter our contest. Um, only about 10 people have entered so far. We said the goal was, what was it, um, 35 reviews in iTunes. I think we're going to bump it down to 20 or 25. I don't know which one, but come on, people. It's it's June already, and we only have about 10, you know, 10, 10 submissions. So, I mean, if we don't get anything, okay, here's how it goes. You have until the end of June to do this. <laughs> if we only get 15 by then, that's the deadline. We're going to cut it off. Well, you have till the end of June, or unless we reach 25. Once we hit 25, we'll cut it off, and we'll do the drawing right then. But enter to win the Art of Brave. All you have to do is go to iTunes, leave us a quick review. It can be one sentence. Like, some of them on there are one sentence. It's great. Like, if I'm reading a review on iTunes, I don't need a big blurb. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. So, hey, do what you want. Email it to us at therotoscopers at gmail.com. And you will be entered into the contest. And don't worry, we're not going to, like, steal your information. Like, we're not trying to figure out who's listening to us. Like, hey, we just want we just want you guys to enter and have a good time. So best of luck to those who have entered, and thank you so much for your reviews. Okay, so you can visit us all over the web, therotoscopers.com. We're the Rotoscopers on Twitter, facebook.com backslash therotoscopers, and therotoscopers.tumblr.com. All fabulous things to find the Rotoscopers. Just type in the Rotoscopers and your selected social media outlet of choice. We will be there. And lastly, our individual locations. You can find me, Morgan Burt, at Morgan underscore Burt at Twitter.com. My name is Morgan Stradley now. Not officially because I haven't changed it, but I'm still debating on if I want to change my Twitter. I don't know. It's so much work, <laughs> but not really. <gasps> Whatever. Well, you're, you can keep it as a middle name, can't you? Yeah, yeah, totally. I will. Or you could combine the names and be Morgan Bradley. Oh, <laughs> Morgan Bradley. <laughs> Bradley. <laughs> okay, you can find Chelsea on Twitter at Chelsea Robson and also Facebook.com backslash This Is Chelsea Robson. That's where you can hear all of her good stuff, her singing, her new single that she talked about. Lots of good things over there. She updates it quite a bit, so be a fan. I am. And last but not least, Mason Smith. You can find him at thisanimatedlife.blogspot.com. Hooray! Hooray! So yeah. So once again, I just want to thank our listeners again. It's been an awesome episode. This is a movie we've been super excited about. And uh, yeah, we actually kind of hate to end this episode, so but we have to. So until next time, we, we are, are the, the Rotoscopers. Bienvenidos a todos y gracias por escuchar el gran podcast de Los Rotoscopers. Les presentamos a todos sus personajes favoritos de, de las películas de Disney, DreamWorks y Don Bluth. Uh, Dude, I would, I would, if, if, if you were taking, like, if you're at a movie, I would not silence my phone and hope that someone called me just so everyone could hear my awesome radio. <laughs> hey, enough chit chat to business girls. So, wow. oh, we've Someone's got a lot of... <laughs> Who died made you, Morgan? <laughs> Way to go. What, who's the nerdy kid's name? Michael? Yes. <laughs> oh, I thought Michael was a little No, no, guy. John. John. My name is John. How do you do? <laughs> ah, Blackfoot tracks. We have some Aborigines. <laughs> what is the word? Aborigines. Aborigines. We have some Aborigines. <laughs> All guests will receive a special commemorative. Commemorative. Why can't I speak today? Aye, aye, aye. I don't think there are any Disney princesses who's lived, who have lived in the 20th century besides Tanya from The Princess and the Frog. Tiana. Dang it. Same. Tiana. Tanya is the lady from World Combat 4. Sorry. <laughs>
We, we are, are the Rotoscopers. <laughs> we sound so... No. We're the Planeteers. <laughs> you one too. No, Rotoscopers. Like... We're the heroes. Gag Rasputin in the dork of the night. Okay. That would have been good if there weren't, like, bugles in the background <laughs> or whatever organs eating. Okay, I'll do it again. Oh.